0: In an upcoming issue of the New York Times Real Estate Magazine, it features an article addressing the ongoing housing shortage in the country as it related to those released from prison. A population of approximately 600,000 individuals who are released from prison each year are often overlooked in housing policy proposals. With limited resources, many of these individuals are forced to turn to illegal activities or become homeless. Although state and local governments and nonprofits attempt to provide housing assistance, there is still a shortage of resources available. In this article, John J. Lennon, a contributing editor at Esquire, who learned to write while incarcerated, shares his perspective on what it's like for a prisoner reentering society amidst a housing crisis. John is currently serving a 28-year-to-life sentence at the Sullivan County Correctional Facility. And he's joining me today on the program. Welcome back to the program, John.
1: All right, Thanks for having me.
0: In your article, you discuss the experiences of two inmates who are about to be released and the challenges they can face leaving prison, such as the likelihood of ending up homeless in the shelter or returning to prison. Is this a recent issue or have prisoners been facing these challenges for a long time?
1: Well, I mean... I mean, I'm a New York prisoner, and many of us are from the city, so look, I mean, if you're from the five boroughs, I think it's always been expensive, right? And so, I mean, I've been in prison uh, over 20-something years, and so has Kevin Brooks, uh, Darius Turner uh, has been in prison over 10 years, so a lot of things have happened in that time span that uh, in terms of you know the, the rents exploding in the five boroughs so so it's certainly been been happening uh in the last part of of uh of this generation but but certainly in the last 10 years the the rents have been exploding so it's 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 certainly something we think about uh when when uh, getting ready to get
0: out Absolutely you know we are having a housing crisis we had a housing crisis before the pandemic and the pandemic's was sort of not sort of, but has increased that need, and we recently had the Sullivan County Human Rights Commissioner on the air with us and telling us that Sullivan County has a, a housing crisis, and now you add on to the fact that now you have prisoners leaving the system, the jail system, and are also looking for housing. In your article, you talk about that, that dilemma that some organizations have about having space. For those who are looking for housing, and those who also just out of prison also looking for housing, and some of the biases against prisoners saying, "Why should they get housing when I'm here working a job, a legit job, making staying uh, you know a lawful citizen, and this person who hasn't been law been lawful citizen are now getting a housing. Do you think about that? Do you think about some of the ways folks may view you once you leave prison?
1: Sure, of course. That's something I imagine we all think about. I think about that. Um, look, I mean, one in three people released uh, from from a New York State prison go to a shelter. That's including folks that go to also a halfway house and a hotel, uh, sort of uh, assistance living s- situations. Um You know, but in terms of in terms of the the legislation that that I I interviewed, you know, a state senator, Brian Kavanaugh, about the housing access voucher program. And he has a it's a bill that would provide these sort of vouchers for people in immediate need of housing assistance. So when you ask the question about uh, this idea of, you know, sort of who gets that assistance, yeah, I think I think that that's a that's a it's a it's a valid point. Uh, one of the people that I interviewed, um, I think this guy's name was Howard Hussek, and he, um, he's, uh, he's from this, he's from, uh, I think the domestic policy studies, a center right, uh, think tank. And I mean, he makes a good point. I mean, he kind of just says, uh, you know, this idea of, should a single person, you know, returning from, from prison sort of jump the line of, of, uh, poor families that are in emergency need of a voucher. Um, these are, these are all things that I think, you know, smarter people than me uh, can figure out in the government. But I think what we can all agree on is that, uh, folks getting out of prison, uh, that have done a long time. I think we should be included in that bill. And I really appreciate the fact that the Senator did include that language in the bill. So, so yeah. In terms of like, uh, you know, getting assistance, you know, we we hope that this bill that's that's coming that's coming up. Or certainly, some of my peers hope um, that um, that it will pass because it can potentially help some folks uh, get assistance for housing.
0: Right. And, and let's talk about that bill that 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 you look to pass. You're talking about the Housing Access Voucher Program. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's the uh, that's the bill Senator Kavanaugh is sponsoring.
0: And this bill. If passed, word, the bill will provide vouchers for people in immediate need of housing assistance, either if they're facing eviction or homelessness. And it's the language that you are looking to have changed to have included folks released from state prisons. You mentioned in your article the various obstacles that individuals leaving prison can encounter, such as being ineligible for public housing, experiencing estrangement from family members. You highlight one inmate, Kevin Brooks in his situation uh, as an example, where he faces difficulty returning to his family due to the changes that have occurred during his time in prison, such as his child growing up, his partner moving on. Can you share with us what you have learned from listening to his stories and what your reporting has revealed about these challenges? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good
1: question. I'm always learning something, right? When I'm writing a story about something, whether it's a personal essay or it's a reported piece like this, in the real estate section of the New York Times. Look, I'm a subscriber to the New York Times. Yeah, I like I like reading the real estate section. It's 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 uh you get it's a dreamy sort of state of mind you're in when you see these ads for these different apartments. But there is the reality when you start looking at the price tag of how much you know how much those those apartments and those condos are. And I think I know I think about this and I and I and I know when I pass the paper on to some of the guys in my cell block uh they like that section too, but we have gotten, you know, into conversations about like, like, I mean, can we ever actually afford that? And it's just so, so, you know, while, you know, I, I was like, well, I should write a piece about that. Like these conversations I'm having, that's where like these, these ideas for stories always develop. It's I'm always in conversation with my peers and kind of thinking about how I'm thinking about it. And I ask questions. And so, I, so, you know, pursuing this story. I mean, I had written, I've written several pieces for the New York Times, and I talked to a colleague that uh, worked. Usually, if you're a freelancer, for uh, you're you either land pieces in the op-ed section of the New York Times or the the magazine section. But so I thought it would be pretty cool for a prisoner to write for the real estate section of the New York Times. So I said. You know, so I asked one of my colleagues, like that—that that used to be an editor in the op-ed section. She had moved over to the business section. Laura Kelly, I uh, had sent her an email through my publicist, and and she, and I said, hey, you know, I have an idea for a story, and I, you know, and I just kind of expressed what I just expressed to you, and uh, she sent it over to uh, to the editor of the real estate section, and I pitched the story, and and they and they said yes, we'd love to you know, run it. So while doing the reporting though, that's when I stumbled upon, uh, this bill and I was, you know, sort of just reading the bill and doing a bit of research. And I was like, huh, you know, this, this could help. So then I kind of called the Senator and yeah, you know, you're always like, <laughs> you're always doing it on a whim. So I'm in like the prison yard calling like this state Senator. And, but, but when you, when you, when you sort of copy your New York times editor, they, they, they tend to, they tend to reply to your message. So, you know, it's, it's always like, it's always kind of a bizarre situation where you're, or it's, uh, it's kind of wild that you're, you're, you're talking to these people, but yeah, I'm also learning from it. And I, and, and I asked, I'm also learning from these interviews and, and, and the bill that, that, that the Senator put forth didn't explicitly say, uh, it said people in emergency. And I just thought people getting out of prison. I mean, the stakes are pretty high for for people that don't have a place to go when they get out of prison. You know, one, you know, when I just we just we just said one in three go to a shelter, but 38 uh, percent in three years come back to prison. So you know, I you know, one wonders how many of those that were having a difficult time finding housing are part of that, part of those numbers too, right? So uh, I asked the senator uh, if he thought that that it was, you know, an emergency for folks getting ready to get out to maybe get a little assistance from this bill. And and he agreed. And that's when he uh, did uh, the language was amended and hopefully it gets passed. So, yes, I I mean, I did learn a lot while writing this
0: piece. So after speaking to the state senator, after that conversation, you're saying that he was able to add language into the bill.
1: Yes that's how it,
0: that's how it happened in this article. you do put your own experiences of how you grew up and the housing situations you grew up in and sort of your situation in 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 prison. you're doing this reporting, but you have so many more obstacles I would think than a normal reporter on the outside would have. You're calling sources, you're sending emails out, but you can't just pick up the phone anytime you want to call the state senator. You have to sort of deal with other people in, in in the prison system who want to use the phone. Like right now, you're outside calling me from the prison yard, and I'm sure you had to wait for another prisoner or another inmate to get off the phone to use it.
1: Yeah, that's correct. You, know, you kind of like bobbing and weaving who's next on the phone, and and yeah, it's always, it's always a sort of... Uh, it's it's certainly a different situation than most journalists, but you know you have to deal with that sort of anxiety of it all. But at this point, I'm kind of used to it. Yeah, so I mean, it's just my life for now.
0: The last time we spoke, we talked a lot about your process of how you write your articles. Are you still using the tablet that you are given in prison?
1: I am. Yeah, it's the it's the JPay tablet. It's it's uh, it helps that and the typewriter uh, because when you get a message in, you can't really you know, you can't pull it and scan it like a, like a computer. You have to. So, so when there's, it's just a situation where, uh, I kind of use both my typewriter and, and my, and the the tablet, the electronic messages, but it has the draft section has these cutting and pasting, uh, tools that, that do help me out a bit.
0: You're doing this reporting from prison and you mentioned a little bit about how you're emailing the state Senator, you know, having a, a, uh, cc'd your editor for the new york times to sort of give you some clout because there might be some apprehension from a state senator talking to a prisoner who's doing some journalism so uh, do you feel that some some tension from state senator who maybe felt uncomfortable talking to you and maybe uh, withholding information because of your your living situation now
1: well yeah so to so to answer your question my publicist so if i send a message out from my jpay tablet i send i have an email on the sh- set up on the outside and my, and my publicist, Megan, she, she, she managed the terminal there and she'll forward a message to, for example, the Senator. And since I'm commissioned the piece for the New York times, I think it's important to also copy my editor at the New York times on that email. And yeah, I mean, it does, it does prompt. Um, I, I, I mean, I imagine, I mean, if people get emails, whoever they are, uh, and from a journalist, and it's from you know it has the New York Times attached. They usually return those emails. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, it's sort of a tactful uh, thing uh, to do. It's also I also want to keep my editor in the loop of the work that I'm doing in terms of reporting. Uh, so, so it's kind of twofold.
0: And you talk about the genesis of, of the article, you know, you're having these conversations and ideas, I mean, you know, maybe I should write about that. So is that how, how sort of your mind works all the time as far as like, not necessarily looking for stories, but knowing that the little spark is there and you go, you know what, that's information that that be, uh, I'm curious about to know about, and, and I'm sure other people are curious to know about it and you want to write about it. Is it, is that something that always is happening with you? being out there and able to recognize a story, a potential story.
1: Yeah. It's the, it's when the personal meets the universal, right? It's like, you're right. I'm always in my pieces and, you know, I'm a prisoner, but, but a lot of things that I think about my peers think about too. So it is, it is, uh, yeah, it is, it is, you know, so, you know, like I said, it was like, I've always liked the New York times, real estate section. and, 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 you know, it's, it's unbelievable sometimes how much, how much money, uh, these, these apartments are. And, you know, it's like, what what part of this world are we? And it's, you know, and a lot of people like They're like, yeah, you know, I agree. When I walk out outside of my cell and I sit in the common area and I pass the paper around and it's, it's a trip, but that sure that goes with a lot of my pieces. Um, I mean, if it's, if I see, you know, somebody, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, somebody suffering from mental illness or somebody, you know, the the pieces are always, you know, part observation, part what you're reading. The universal is like, I read a lot too. So it's like, I want to know what you guys are thinking about out there. So so I read, I subscribe to a lot, but also, you know, we're just a microcosm of your world too. And I think people are interested in in our world, like, like people are interested, like we're interested in your world. And I think I've, sort of I could the writing can bridge that gap with these with these articles that I pitch I think um that's when the pitches land that's when the editors say yes
0: you know you have a very different perspective obviously from a person who outside like if me if I was to write this story that you wrote for the New York Times uh real estate section about the what prisoners face when they leave prison in the housing crisis I would have a very different perspective and and in the story because I'm not living it. You are. You have that perspective because you are, this is your life for right now. You are in prison and this is potentially your future and you're seeing your fellow peers also potentially going through this now and you have the inside information. Do you feel your, your people that you're interviewing, do you feel that they are more comfortable talking to you because you have that shared experience.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I mean, I think, I mean, I a lot of people that are that are here in in, in prison with me in my cell block and in and in the prison I'm in in Sullivan. Uh, I mean, they know I'm a journalist, um, and if I'm, it depends on who's you know who you're asking. I mean, it's it's low hanging fruit. I could talk to a lot of different people about different things, you know. So I, I do have access to a lot of different people I can talk to about it. So if some, if some person clams up, you know, you could always talk to somebody else and, you know, some, some people aren't comfortable with, uh, with talking to you. And that's okay. I mean, I think that's like that out, out in the street too, when you're a journalist. I mean, I don't know. I've never been a journalist in the street. So, so, um, but I imagine that's the case. And then, you know, you, you gotta, um, yeah you got to keep it moving and, and and talk to somebody else but i think most guys are 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 open to i mean i found that most guys are certainly open to me because you know like you said i'm i'm in the same situation they are and i think most guys kind of you know kind of respect uh you know you try to be impartial uh you know with when i was talking that's why i talked to howard Hussick, you know the guy from the center right think tank you know i mean i was pushed you know to to you want to get both sides right so so on the one hand, you know, I'm trying to be impartial and even-handed. And, you know, so I, I talked to, to the senator, and then I talked to the guy from the, uh, Howard Hussock from the, from the conservative think tank. And, you know, hey, what do you think of, of this bill? And, you know, he wasn't, you know, he, he, he thought it was important, but uh, in terms of, you know, folks getting out of prison, getting housing, but he thought it had some issues, right, about people jumping the line. So it's important like when I'm doing the reporting to, to, to have some professionalism in terms of who I'm interviewing, in terms of interviewing both sides. But then it's just like, you know, it's it's of course it's who I am and it's what I'm experiencing. I'm a guy that actually cares about this issue obviously a lot because of my situation and I'm observing the fears of people returning back to society. But nobody wants to come back, you know, like like you know, as 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 often as, as we do. You know, there's other, there's there's big, there's reasons, there's societal reasons for that. So that's a personal feeling, right? That's a, that's, you know, we can't go in, you know, this word objective. I mean, it's kind of like a scientific word. It's like, you know, journalists, you know, they, we come in with our lived experiences and mine just so happens to be living in prison. So I don't know how objective I am, but I try to be as even handed as I can because I've become a professional writer and journalist. Right. So, um, if that makes any sense.
0: It does, it does. There is a really big push to have affordable housing now is even in the governor's budget proposal to have more affordable housing. If the bill does not pass, what else do you think can be done?
1: Oh, you know, I mean, I'm excited that that Governor Hochul is, is, you know, kind of, very concerned about this housing and, and wants to sort of build more, I think I don't know much about it. You know, I, I just know, you know, our experiences and I know, uh, but I, but I do know, I mean, that if there's more of a supply, then maybe that could affect, um, you know, bring down the the prices a bit, like just, just this, you know, just as a law, laws of supply and demand. I mean, so I think it's a, it's a good idea that, that the, the, you know, the governor is very, you know, sort of passionate about supporting, you know, housing and building new y- and sort of uh, getting behind all this building. Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm certainly not an expert, in you know, in housing, but I, you know, I do know how I feel about, you know, and I do know how my peers and I feel about like sort of returning, uh, especially to, to, to New York City. You know, I also, one of the things that struck me, you say, I you know, I, I you know, I personalize it, I, you know, and at the end, you know, I do, because my mother used to be a real estate Broker and she's retired now. And it's just, you know, you always, you always do feel on the outskirts. It's always like, even growing up, I was, you know, you bring up this, this idea of poor and, and, you know, it's, it's almost like shameful. Like I was in a, you know, I grew up in a housing project and, you know, then when we moved to Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan, there was always, we we lived in a rent stabilized uh, apartment, you know, and it's, yeah, I pride myself in like, you know, having found a career, Yeah, you know, and a part of you like kind of wants to, and, I, and I'm sure many of my peers feel like this too. Like You know, you want to, you want to sort of, you want to change your identity and you want to like, you know, you want to be a part of this, this society that you're returning to. And it's about what, you know, you know, having become, you know, a journalist and having and recently getting this fellowship and potentially getting a chance at release. If my sentence gets commuted, you know, it's it's like i've done a lot and just to have done all that you know just to be able to 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 what like be able to pay the market rent in 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 brooklyn i mean that's wild right it's like i really try to knock you got to like really knock it out of the park to not be in a category of 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 what of having to like You know, get assistance and get and 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 to be you know rent some rent stabilized and to be it's I don't know it's just it's just something it's just something that that I've that I've given a lot of thought to, and I it's just it confuses me it's bewildering you know but it's also but it's also the world we live in right and and um um, and I am you know and I am sort of uh, grateful that uh, I've been put in a position to. Um, um, to to be able to to, to afford, uh, like I'll be okay, um, when I get out. Like I know I will be, but I've had a, like, I've I've been pretty fortunate. I've had to do a to do a lot, and and to, uh, to 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 be able to sort of be in that position to to afford rent, and it, I mean, and and that's what it is. I'm just like in the position to afford rent at the at the market rate. Uh, maybe in Manhattan or Brooklyn, which is 4200 a month.
0: And I just want to say, you know, this didn't fall on your lap. You know, you worked for this. You are a working journalist, and you work very hard at it, producing great work, and that's getting published. So, you know, kudos to you that you put the work in to have a life outside of prison once you get out.
1: Well, thank you, Patricia. I, I appreciate that.
0: Well, let's talk about this fellowship. First of all, congratulations on the fellowship, can you tell us about the fellowship and how are you participating in it?
1: So it's Galaxy Gives. it's Mike and Suki Novogratz. Uh, Mike Mike Novogratz is a uh he's a very successful guy. He's a he's a you know, he's a Goldman Sachs guy and he 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 he's very passionate about uh I think his daughter got involved with, with uh, working for the Bronx uh I think Legal Aid Society and and you know was was uh kind of appalled about like how people couldn't really get out on bail. So Mike Novogratz was behind bail reform and a lot of uh, that whole movement. And he, and he created a philanthropy and galaxy gives since 1999 has been uh, giving uh, some big fellowships to to people that sort of moved the needle in criminal justice reform. And I was honored that, that this year I was uh, selected as, as one of them. Uh, so it entails. So, I, and and you have to sort of describe a project. So, two projects that I uh, that I put forth on the application, they, they actually reach out to you. It's kind of like they select you. can't like kind of apply for it. But like, uh, so they reached out and I, and I and I sort of filled it out and, and they gave it to me. But the two projects that I that I that I told them I was working on, uh, one was the Prison Letters project with Emily Bazelon. She's a staff writer for the New York Times Magazine. And what Emily, uh, over the last couple of years, Emily has been getting letters after her front page story with you go Briley. Uh, she had struck up a correspondence with him and eventually, uh, helped get him out of prison. He was an innocent man. so that ran last year, uh, I think two years ago on the, on the, uh, on the front page of the New York times. And she, After that, there was a lot of, uh, as you can imagine, uh, people who were in prison writing her letters, and so she really, you know, she was kind of thinking, like, what do we do with these letters, and we created the Prison Letters Project, and we we sort of put posts. We were putting them on on the New York Times Magazine newsletter, but we're in the process of finding a new home now. So there's that project, and then there's Freedom Reads, which I'm an ambassador for Freedom Reads, which was... Which is a project run by uh, Reginald Dwayne Betts. He's he's uh, a colleague of mine and a friend, and he he runs a nonprofit bringing curated libraries in prisons across America. So, yeah, these are two projects that I'm passionate about, and I'm sort of always so with my writing. I try to bring highlight to these different projects. Uh, so I'm the lead writer for the Prison Letters Project, and and I I often write and try to highlight or talk up uh, Freedom Reads as well. So it's these different sort of projects that uh, that I put forth for the for the uh, for the Galaxy Fellowship.
0: Well, that's great. Again, congratulations on that that fellowship. I understand you you also have a book deal. You are writing a book. You're editing a book. Where are you on the process of this book, and when will it come out?
1: So we're in a place right now where some there's two pretty popular genres if you will i think there's uh, true crime has exploded in the last few years and you know criminal justice uh is is a pretty popular genre too i think one i i think one undermines the other though if we're going to bed i think a lot of people watch true crime they go to sleep at night uh for some bizarre reason it's entertaining using uh watching Oftentimes, murder for entertainment, I think, is unfortunate. Uh, but we 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 tend to do that here in this nation. And I just think uh, so. So I'm writing a story about my own. A lot, a lot of times, when when we tell the stories of true crime, it's about, you know, you know, why did he do it? What you know, was there justice served? What you know, what were the lower details of the crime? And then when the person goes away the story ends. But that's really only half the story. And you never really see the three dimension of the of of the of the offender. And and what do we do with what we did? What does that look like? And so so I'm telling the story of four different men in prison. Uh and the back stories and our stories. And of course, you know, like my style is I weave myself through. So it's kinda like the overarching theme is me kind of trying to tell the story, these, these stories of, of, of true crimes in a, in a nuanced way, a very character-driven story. So, so that's what the book's about.
0: So you, like we discussed before, you have this unique perspective on, on these issues because you are living it. This is your own life and you have that style of weaving your own story into your work and I, I think it's better for it because it humanizes it. it. It makes these issues and these topics that you talk about it real. And it's not just uh, these characters made up or this out view, this outside view of a, 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 a tragic, sometimes ter- horrific situation that they talk about or listen to. When is this book slated to come out?
1: So, yeah, I mean, it's next, it's it's next, uh, it should be next, it should be next year sometime. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're still starting the process. Uh, we're still do, going through the process, the editing process. But, uh, you know, it could be a long, uh could be a long haul. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're, it's tentatively scheduled for 2024, late. Um, but it's, it's a new experience, and I'm grateful for, uh, for, to have, to have, you know, got that opportunity to, uh, to get a deal and to write this story.
0: Look forward to, to reading that book when it comes out. You also mentioned in your article that you are applying for clemency to the governor to shave off some years from your sentence. Can you talk about that and your process to want to make that happen?
1: Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, in the last few years— uh... Clemency, when I came to prison, clemency wasn't a thing, you know, people weren't, it wasn't, it wasn't criminal justice reform, it wasn't any of that, it was, it was like, you're going to prison, if you brought up the the word clemency, it's just like, you you know, guys will look at you like you're crazy, like, the governor's not going to let you go, you're you're convicted of murder, but that's, that's not been the case this last uh, few years, and I think that's generally just the climate, people are kind of tired of, uh, you just overstuff prisons. But the last ones to really sort of get a little mercy are the violent offenders. You know, I, you know, I was in my early twenties, I was out there running the streets and, you know, I'm not proud of who I was. If you ask any 40 something year old who they were in their twenties, they would certainly acknowledge they were certainly different people. Um, many didn't step over the lines I did or the lines we did. And I think many of us acknowledge that in here, but, but yeah, so, 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 you know, the climate recently, uh, uh, governor Cuomo, uh, let, let, uh, several, uh, people go, even folks convicted of murder. Uh, governor Kathy Hochul has uh, committed to to do that. And, and I, I think, um, I just put my, put my applic I'm putting my application in the hat. It's just time for me to, uh, I hope to be considered. So Dwayne Betts is the same one as the freedom reads, uh, organization. He's, um, he's a guy that did time and Reginald dream best. and he, and he got out and he's, uh, you know, he's he's he, he did eight years for a carjack and he got out. He went to Yale Law. He, he, um, he's a MacArthur genius fellow. I mean, like, like redemption stories are out there and, and, and we, I like to think I'm one and there's plenty of them in here too, you know, give us a shot. So, so I'm
0: just hoping for mine, you know? And hey, obviously you're working on your book now. Uh, so it looks like to come out next year. Um, what else are you working on? What else is, it seems like you're a person that uh, always has to be working on an article or, or have an idea of an article in your head. Do you want to review anything that you're working on soon that we may see other than the New York Times article is going to come out Sunday?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, working on a book. You're, I mean, I'm always pitching stories, right? You know, it's it's a tricky thing. It's a good question. You know, I, I, for many years I've been. It's always like the next piece you're working on. Um, I think working on a book is such a longer project. You know, you kind of gotta. You kind of gotta just like focus on the book. So I'm waiting for edits right now from my editor at Celadon, and then we can. You know, I'm I'm. I'll be working on that, but yeah, there's always something you got in the mix. I'm always pitching different stories. Uh, you know, you, it's, it's the life of a freelancer. There's, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of different stories you're considering, you're tossing out there and, and, uh, you know, you kind of have to, now that I have the book in there, you know, you kind of have to balance like the bigger ones. Like I used to have a more bigger spreads where you have to be pretty immersed in, uh, in these, in these, like I had a, a spread, uh, in the last issue of Esquire about conjugal visits and, uh, which we call family reunion program and you know, that that's a it was a pretty deep dive into my experience and the history of conjugal visits in America. Um but you know I had a, a piece two weeks ago in the New York Review of Books critiquing the true crime critiquing a you know a book about true crime access. So I'm always I'm doing more book reviews now though than than these big spreads because They could be, they could take a lot of your time. Those magazine pieces can be pretty, uh, intense. So yeah, more book reviews kind of in my genre, you know, in the genre of true crime and prisons and kind of seeing what, you know, you you critique other people. You hope they ain't too, they're not too hard on you when you, (laughs) when, when, uh, when, when you come out with your book. So yeah, that was pretty hard on, uh, the New York times, uh, the uh, the the New York Times book review columnist Sarah Wyman in the New York uh, Review of Books, her book. So, uh, which was uh, like two weeks, like I think three weeks ago, that was the that was the that was her book. And usually, New York Magazine Vulture, I write for. So Carrie Blakinger's book uh, about Corrections and in Ink I, I reviewed. I reviewed Love Lockdown. Just a couple of uh, for 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 New York Magazine, uh, so I try to try to write about you know sort of books in my genre. And
0: I find it interesting that you did pick uh, this sort of true crime. I, I know you mentioned it that it is a little weird that people do fall asleep to you know uh, listen to true crime podcasts or shows or things like that. Um, it, you know, it's it's I guess. From what I, I understand, we all are some kind of voyagers in in people's lives and want to hear things that normally won't happen in a normal person's life. And no one, not everyone, will experience some horrific murder or or see a horrific car accident. So you can sort of have some distance from it and you know hear it or watch it online or watch it on TV. Um, and sometimes you fall asleep to it. Uh, it it does happen. So, but you're bringing your Again, your perspective to this genre.
1: Yeah, it's how you tell the story. I think there's plenty of, two, uh, there's plenty of, uh, you know, and it's it's there's highbrow, there's lowbrow, true crime. I mean, there's there's uh, there's all types of true crime out there. I mean, I think for the most part, um, if we're watching, you know, this this sort of this sort of crime for uh, for for entertainment, uh, I think it. I think I think we have to really we consider, you know, the way in which we tell those stories, right? The stakes are pretty high. Like we, we lock up a lot of people in America and we have a lot of violence in America. And those there's a lot of social issues. It's about, you know, we have a lot of guns. We have, uh, there's, there's a lot of reasons, but, um, but to, to sort of, uh, to have these, to have this, to have this, this, this genre so popular at a time where, um, where we're still having some big problems, with um with uh with prison uh over, over some prisons i think is a is a, is a problem, but yeah, yeah it is voyeurism it is it is it's all that, and I like to think I'm telling it in a different way um and yeah you know, hopefully i uh hopefully i'm able to do that uh in this book and as long as i'm sort of like coming up under my, my, my subjects, you know, never putting myself above them, I think, you know, I think it, I think it, the reader will receive it well. Yeah, you know, I'm somebody who's killed a man too. And that's, that's, that's tough to, to sort of, uh, you know, sort of earn the trust of your reader. And I think I, I do more often than not. So if I tell a story about others... And I, and I sort of introduce you to the dimensions of those characters. I think, I think people will be interested.
0: Have you ever considered the impact of your murder on the affected families and how you could be seen as profiting from their experiences by sharing your story? I bring this up because of the, in light of the, the backlash of the Netflix series about Jeffrey Dahmer received with some critics accusing it of of turning a tragedy into entertainment.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm a journalist. Uh, you know, I write about others mostly, but there there are times that I do connect my experience. I don't I don't uh, romanticize my life or or the my the, the sort of my my past criminal life or sort of take you through uh the time uh like it was like, like it's a story of Goodfellas or something. Um, but, uh, you know, I write about others. I'm a journalist, but look, to answer your question, I mean, you know, you don't spend your days writing personally. I'm a personal journalist. I write about myself, but, uh, and I write about others, but you don't spend your days turning sentences around and thinking and writing and writing and thinking, and you don't think about the people you heard. You know, I think deeply about the, you know, the people I heard. I have to carry that, you know? it's been 20 something years and for many years you go to prison and, and I had a street life murder, you know, I was a drug dealer. I was a punk. And you, you're running, you say, ch- you live in fast and you, you kill a man. And for, for many years it's just, you, you, you rationalize and it's easy to rationalize in prison. Yeah, uh, there's no, there's no therapy, therapeutic programs. There's nobody asking you, what do you do with, uh, what you did? And, how does it feel to kill man? There's, I've been in prison twenty-something years. No one's ever asked me that. So you're on your own. Um, so you have to grow up, and and it took years for me to 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 uh, start thinking about it in a healthy way. And writing helped with that. And to understand how far-reaching murder really is. It's beyond you and the guy that that was your lifestyle with, and the beef that you guys had. No, no, no. There would be a family. That that you devastated for for the rest of their lives. Society will be affected by this. The neighborhood and my family too. My mother's old and with Parkinson's right now, and I can't like do anything for her. That's shameful. That's that sucks. You know, and that's because of what I did. So you know, there's plenty of far-reaching things uh, that I have to live with because of my crime, including. Uh, The family. And I think about that and I write about that. And writing about that makes me think about that more and more. So, sure, of course I do.
0: The last we spoke, it was about how the COVID 19 pandemic has affected inmates in, in your cell block and the experiences you were having through the COVID 19 pandemic. We're three years outside of the pandemic here. Outside the prison walls, uh, things have subsided. Things have gone back to normal, somewhat. How is it for you now, dealing with the current situation with COVID? Now, now that things have sort of gone back to "quote unquote" semi-normal.
1: Well, thankfully, I mean, there is there there, there we have returned to some type of normalcy, if the word applies in prison. I mean, there there is you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we kind of like mimic what's going on in society. So there's not, we're not really masked up much anymore and there aren't much cases. It seems like, um, the strains have, have sort of, uh, aren't as potent anymore. So yeah, I mean, we're grateful for that because we're living on top of each other. And I've, as you know, I've written about this since we talked about Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean we're, all, we're all pretty grateful for that, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I just got my booster shot, uh, um, yesterday it was a little under the weather yeah some guys don't even you know they they don't they don't they don't take it um but uh i mean to each his own i don't you know i take mine but um uh, but to each his own yeah they offer it but they uh there's some uh, yeah it, it it's uh it's it's you know we're we're getting past it now here.
0: Another topic I've always wanted to talk to you about was healthcare, healthcare in the prison system. i have hearing stories, reports about the lack of healthcare, the lack of of staff, the lack of just getting basic needs like the flu vaccine or or or, or medicines for for diabetes, things that people need in their everyday lives to to live. Are those reports that I'm hearing ring true to you
1: yeah no i'd like to put i'd like you to put this in the piece too yeah no the health- the healthcare care is terrible in here and it perhaps may have something to do with uh covid and how how covid perhaps put off uh dates for you know different issues for people that were getting uh that had different issues and a lot of their a lot of their health care was getting postponed i mean we it's it's difficult uh here even at Sullivan there's there's so many, there's so many guys that are waiting for for different issues uh, that that fellas have, and and just to get, just to just to sort of to see a doctor. I mean, it's rough. But I got spots on me that that sometimes I look in the mirror, I think it's skin cancer, and I'm like, I'm like, I want to. Who do I ask about this? Like, I'm 45 years old. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in good health. But there's so many men around me that are aging, especially in this prison, that if they can't even get to. They can't even get to to see a to see a doctor to see profile. Every time they get you know uh, called for uh, to see uh, the physician's assistant, it get canceled. This this prison in particular, it's tough uh, to get seen. So, yeah, I mean, I want to get. I gotta get out of here. You know, to see if these these spots on me are are skin cancer. I'm I'm asking my publicist. I'm like, is this? Skin? She's like sending me stuff over the the JPEG. She's like, this is what it looks like. I'm like, is this? I'm like looking at the mirror. I'm like, I mean, I wish I could just go ask a doctor, but you can't. It's just
0: that's like you can't, you, you, I mean, you can't. I mean, you can't. You can't. Don't you have like yearly physicals that they have to that you're mandatory to get or anything like that? That's what I I would imagine that. You, you they do,
1: they people. do, okay. but sometimes they get canceled, sometimes they get wow. canceled, and they get pushed off. I'm scheduled to see, uh, you know, they do have a yearly, <laughs> they, get, they get pushed off a lot, and COVID is, that's what I'm talking about, it was pushed back a lot. And, you know, the surgery, the guys were scheduled for, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, yeah, it's rough. But, uh, yeah, and I feel like, you know, I'm over here, that, like, sometimes I feel like I'm the voice for, 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 for the people sometimes. And I know there's guys even in their cells that would hear this and be like, you, you should say this and you should say that. But yeah, look, it's, 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 it's a bad situation, you know, healthcare in prison and particularly this prison for some reason. I don't know. It's just like, it's like we're off to the side. I don't know. It's other prisons I've been in. Maybe it's because they're a bit bigger. Maybe because we have a high population of, uh, seriously folks suffer from serious mental illness. They have their hands full here. um, But uh, but it's 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 tough.
0: Yeah, you talk about how things are sort of mimics what happens in prison, mimics what happens outside, and and and, you know we're having our own health crisis really from the pandemic. Still, just recently, not too long ago, we had you know uh, urgent cares closed because there was so many patients coming in. We're facing now increased times in ERs, uh, lack of, of, of of staff to. To take care of us, and so it's it's like that is also happening here outside, but obviously not at the extent that's happening where you are.
1: Yeah, there's no doctor. There's no doctor here in in Sullivan. There's no in Sullivan Correctional. There's no doctor. I've never seen. it. I mean, in the last in the last six months, there's no like I, I don't even. There's a physician's assistant, um, but there's no doctor. Like that, I think so had one, he was a decent guy, and then they leave, they're like, this place is nuts, and they, I guess they just leave, and they just, it's just they, they, plenty of them, they just keep, they just keep leaving, and, and, uh, yeah, it's tough to do a piece on something like that,
0: You have one minute left. Because, <laughs> you
1: know, it's like, none of them talk to you, like, the administrators, they don't talk, no one talks to me, so it's just like, they all, the administrators all know, the journalists, so none of them will talk to me, so it's tough to sort of penetrate, the, um, you know, I could talk to guys about how you take the individual stories of how, you know, how they're suffering. It's, it's probably a story, uh, that I can, that I should be covering, uh, but there's always stakes to that too. You know, I'm trying to get out of here and so it could be, you know, it's like, uh, it's like sometimes my lawyers are telling me, you know, you may want to stand down about now. But, uh, but there's always that that you know you you want to you want fight for the guys around you too, and you want to sort of expose the situation too, so
0: yeah, well, John, thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to me about your article that's coming out in the New York Times about your fellowship, about your book deal, and all the things that you have been working on as a prison journalist. Thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to me. It's been a pleasure, uh Patricia. Uh, thank you for having me on the show.
1: Thank you for using Securus. Goodbye.
0: For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Rubio.